What's up, everyone? I'm Mason. I'm Trope. And you're listening to the Postmillennial White House, a podcast brought to you by the Teenage Democrat. I am here with my best friend of all time, Trip Davis. How are you doing, Trip? I'm great. Oh, great. that's so good. How, how's school going? It went good. It was a good mm-hmm. year. Glad to be home. Yeah. What'd you do? Anything special? Um. Yeah. I was a uh, I was a legislative aide in the office of State Representative E.M. Harez. I did that from January to the end of this semester. So, that was a good time. That's dabalicious. That was his dab. So, Trip, just for you, I made a special little, well, actually, Alexa from Amazon made it, but here it is, here it is. Alexa, open Diddy. Here's your most recent Diddy. Welcome to the Post Malone White House. Welcome to the Post Malone White House. Um, Thanks for using Diddy. First, I'd like to say that in the event Post Malone ever runs for president, <laughs> I really think we should sell him the rights to this. I think so. I mean, I, that's like a really good a post millennial White House. I mean, I know he's only like what twenty one or something. He's not very old, but um. Hey, how old do you have to be to run for president? Thirty five. Is that gonna? Are you gonna do that one day? Uh, not committing. And so. Um, <laughs> oh, you're not announcing in, in it. The, huh? In the event that Post Malone runs, I really think we're on to something here. Well. The creative team. I have a surprise for Trip. And Trip, how do you feel about surprises? I hate surprises. And I do not enjoy them. They cause me heightened stress levels. When we were talking about the podcast and preparing today, I told him about the surprise. And he doesn't know what it is yet, but I'll let you hear it. What do you think it is, Trip? Well, it could be an embarrassing picture. A, it's on a piece of paper. It could be. It could be a love letter. Mm, I know you have your affection for me, but... Mm, yeah, no. Uh, so, this... I w- okay, so I was gifted something. Well, I earned something. Uh, and and on this piece of paper, it's an award. And at the bottom of the piece of paper, there's two people's signatures that I just really don't like. Like, I really don't like them. Uh, that'd be Betsy DeVos and Donald Trump. Ooh. Do you know what it is yet? Uh, I have a guess. I do. What is it? I think it's uh, it's an education award. It is the president's education thingy. Yeah, president achievement award. So I used to be really excited about this because it had Obama's signature on it, you know? Mm-hmm. But now it has fake printed Betsy DeVos and Donald Trump's the, signature The on best it. part of this is they forgot to put our school name here. Well, so the school is left blank. <laughs> Well, hey, so... You know, the the standards for this have really lowered, if well, you're it, getting it now. Donald Trump's president, so I think the standard for the country is lower. That's a good, that's a good response. <laughs> so we've got a lot of things we're going to talk about today, so let's go ahead and get right into it. You know, every single podcast that I've had, which there's only been three, but we're not going to talk about that. You know, tests, exams, everything. We're back. So <laughs> Triff is rolling his eyes, but it's true. Um, every single podcast... That Ben and I have had, we've had a talk about guns and gun violence, which uh, is just crazy to me. So, of course, we have to talk about Santa Fe. Um, This is a Houston area school. And on Friday, last Friday, a 17-year-old student had a shotgun and a pistol, went into Santa Fe and uh, killed 10 people during an art class. Um. The teachers he killed, he killed two teachers. They were Glenda Perkins and Cynthia Tisdale. And then he killed eight students whose names were Jared Black, 
Shauna Fisher, Christian Riley Garcia, Aaron Kyle McLeod, Angelique Ramirez, Shabika Sheik, Christopher Jake Stone, and Kimberly Vaughn. So, I, I mean, what do you even say? You know, like, at this point, how many times does it take? Like, how much mm-hmm. death does it take to, for something to happen? You know, I think at this point it's clear to even people who are completely against gun control that something needs to happen. But the problem that I think is that, you know, when something happens that you don't like or something happens and it goes against what you're saying, what you're telling people, which is the narrative from the right, the far right would be that it's not guns, it's about mental health, which mental health has a factor in it and Mm -hmm. all these other things have a factor. But I think what it boils down to is guns, you know, like, so... You know, we're seeing all these shootings, but what's the common component? You know, in some cases, it's mental health. In other cases, it's this or that, bad home life, blah, blah, blah. You could blame it on a bunch of different things. But what's still like the one thing that's always there? Guns. So how could it be anything other than guns? I, uh, I remember when the Santa Fe, when they started filming, when people were able to get there. I was at my grandparents' house. Mm-hmm. I've been home three or four days and we were over there, it was like really early in the morning. Mm-hmm. It was like just as the school day was beginning to start. I mean, they hadn't even been, I don't think they'd been in class very long, if at all. And I just remember seeing there with my grandparents, you know, who when they went to school, this wasn't really something that happened very often. Right. But as they've progressed through their life as being adults and having children and grandkids go through school, they're seeing this happen a lot more mm-hmm. and they see it happening a lot more frequently. Mm-hmm. And so for them to... Um, come from a time where, you know, people and gun ownership wasn't a big deal to where today where it's become a controversial topic, it's interesting to, you know, sit with them and watch that, you know, and see how we've progressed at this point in our nation. I mean, I think the general attitude is, is that the lack of action, you know, is causing more and more harm and hurt than, um, than doing nothing at all. Well, and I think another problem is, is that, you know, and we kind of talked about this a second ago, is that people are putting blame at places where it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And for example, like the father um, of this murderer, this explicit killer, uh, says that his son was mistreated at Santa Fe High School. And that he said that, quote, I believe that I believe that's what was behind the shooting, is that something, his son was mistreated. Mm -hmm. He says, something must have happened now, this last week. He told the station, he said, somebody probably came and hurt him, and since he was a solid boy, I don't know what could have happened. I can't say what happened. All I can say is what I suspect as a father. The thing is, though, is that this is the problem. This is part of the issue, is that you know, I was bullied my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so for someone to say, for the father of someone who killed 10 people mm-hmm. to say, well, look, it's not my son's fault because, you know, my son would never do this. So it can't be his fault. And, so, And I don't think that, you know, like this is devaluing like the effects of bullying. Like I don't want to play down like, no, like bullying, you know, has definitely affects on people's mental right. health and, and, their, and there needs to and, be a and topic. how they interact with people but to go as far to say that bullying causes someone to want to kill 10 people eight students and two teachers 
I don't feel that that's the only factor at play. Well, I, I do, it can play a factor, but to say that that's the pure motivation for killing ten mm-hmm. people, because like let's say you know you're bullied, like mm-hmm. there's definitely going to be some retaliation in the fact, but I don't think that bullying you know does not doesn't equivocate. There's right. no it does, killing someone does not equivocate to bullying. Well, and the thing is, is that a natural response to bullying would be anger. I mean, that's just a natural. That's a human reaction to bullying. So what do most kids do when they get bullied? I mean, that anger may spark um, a fight. That anger may spark some sort, some form of mild, low-level violence. But when in America have we said that it's okay for anger to start death, you know? I mean, for bullying to lead to something that takes the lives of 10 innocent people. For a father or for anyone to place blame on other students for the killing of 10 people because of bullying is ridiculous. Well, I think, I think that where we've come today in terms of talking about um, gun control is we have a very you know, split narrative. Right. And we have two very um, ideological opposing sides, and there's no sort of middle ground mm-hmm. Well, well, there is middle ground available, uh, but there's a lack of one side ever wanting to concede any sort of ground right. whatsoever. They do not want to give up any of their talking points. To give up one of them is to give up all of them. Right. I mean, they lose any ground at the moment they make you know a concession. And so you know we have we had Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick come out to Santa Fe and mm-hmm. they gave speeches and talked to families and. Governor Abbott, you know, said we, he he openly admitted, you know, that it's now time to open up discussion. And it was interesting to see, you know, what were these discussions going to really entail? Because, you know, just a week or two prior to that, he had been at the NRA convention. Right. And, and well, I just think, you know, everybody, you know, when this when these kind of things are happening, we see local level government, you know, in the federal government. They all say, well, something needs to happen. You know, so I think that that is the middle ground, is that everybody agrees that something should happen. The problem is, is that the right is saying, well, this, this, and this need to happen. It doesn't really have a lot to do with guns. I mean, maybe we could look at that later, but right now we need to look at, like, mental health and how people are doing these things and, like, what's going on in that area while the left is saying, look, mental health is a huge issue. We want to tackle that. At the same time, we want to make sure that guns are not getting in the hands of these people who the right is talking about. I think what you have here is the right, the right knows open. I I don't think anyone in the right genuinely believes that this is okay, Mm -hmm. that nothing needs to be done. I believe that they put on a face and they say what they need to, to retain their donors and, and their electability. But what you have here is in saying you need to tackle mental health, they're looking at a much longer-term timeline in which to create a solution. Mm -hmm. And Democrats in saying, you know, let's pass gun legislation now are going to have a very quick uh, response that that buys them the time to solve that issue from the bottom up. But because this is happening at such a pace and and at such drastic levels, I mean, Marjorie Snowman Douglas was, what, 90 or... Have we reached a hundred days since then? I'm not sure, but it was March, mm-hmm. and so or late February. And so, what what you have here is you have both of them know deep down that there needs to be something done because we can't keep have kids keep dying. But it comes down to are Republicans ever going to sacrifice that initial 
legislation to to enact. The initial upper hand, right. And then, and I think another thing that's been interesting, and I'm seeing this trickle into things beyond just gun control talk, you know, um, for a long time, I think this, the younger generation, you know, teenage Democrats or teenage Republicans even, have been fairly quiet on issues, social issues, gun reform. And this has really sparked a huge, you know, concern and action from young people, young voters. And so what we're seeing now is older people in the right are attacking these young people for trying to get something done. And I think that that is probably the most concerning thing uh, after you know, what's happening is that um, obviously the most concerning thing is what is happening. But then I think the next most concerning thing is the reaction that the public is giving to these victims mm-hmm. who are trying to create change. Well, I think that the reason that we are now seeing such a spark for um, action on gun control is because this is the first issue that I think this current you know, let's say freshman year. So, you know, this 16 to 21 year olds, this is for a lot of people, the first issue that's ever hit this close to home, Right. you know, outside of like, maybe let's say young LGBT, uh, youth, Mm -hmm. you know, that, and when, um, that Supreme court ruling came out, that one was, you know, easily a big deal for them. But, you know, now this is something that relates to all student aged kids. I mean, this is, uh, something that could happen to anyone on any campus, and they've never really had such motivation right. in which to act. And I think that, you know, overall, it's just important, you know, as Democrats, it's important for us to back our young people, right? And Because they're the future. As a country, I think it's important for us to back our young people, because that's the future, so right now, we have a bunch of young people talking about, we've got to do something. And, you know, recently we posted a quote onto our Teenage Democrat page, and it said, if everything is someone else's problem, the world will not progress. And that is so true. If Republicans keep believing that everything, well, that's, that's you know, it'll work itself out, or that's not our problem, you know, if that narrative keeps being repeated, this world is not going to progress. More lives are going to be lost. And that is not okay. That is something that's scary to me. And the fact that Republicans and even independents are able to say, well, that's not my problem. And watch as, you know, in Indiana, there was a a shooting at a restaurant, you know, and we're Mm -hmm. seeing all these other shootings. So, so when's the change? When does it become their problem? And, you know, I'd, I'd like to come back to kind of this, attack on young people from Mm -hmm. the older generation when it just seems, um, I I don't know, you know, how to, how to characterize it, but it's very, um, frightening to think that, you know, just because of your age, you shouldn't have, you know, a voice in a democracy. I think that's counterintuitive, you know, to what representative government is and why we have the right to petition and the Mm -hmm. right to protest and the right to speak out because, um, you know, let, let's say, you know, young people shouldn't have a voice in government. If we're going to go along those lines, then Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, who were 20 and 21 at the signing of the Constitution, wouldn't have had a voice in that. Uh, James Monroe was 18 when the, in 1776. All these people were very young. Betsy Ross was 24. James Madison was 25. 
all these people are incredibly young when they wrote this founding document that these people are claiming to base their opinions off of. And so in saying that these young people shouldn't have an opinion seems very counterintuitive to the ideals and the history of America, which has been that young people create change. Well, and I think that over the course of history, you know, we see in other countries and also in American history, whenever opinions scare that's when mm-hmm. they want to be silenced. So really, I think that the the thing is, is that the silence is almost like, uh, it's almost a compliment because it's almost like, you know, the writer or the older generation saying, hey, we are scared of what you're doing and we're mm-hmm. scared that you're about to create change. I mean, we have seen immense turnout from young people, you know, March for Our Lives, all these, and then sub-marches of March for Our Lives, mm-hmm. um, Change the Ref, all these different organizations, you know, teen, even Teenage Democrat, is start, you know, it's been started by teenagers and it's run by teenagers. And, and so everything, everything that's happening in all the political movements and all the political change has been fostered in at least the past, you know, 100 days by teenagers. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just very... It's very confusing to see such a large pushback from such a from a demographic that's not suffering from this. Right. You know, if we're looking at, you know, wanting to curtail school shootings, the victims of school shootings are students, teachers, and educators. And mm-hmm. yes, there is gun violence across the board in America, but we're seeing a lot of mass murders happening to younger children. Mm-hmm. And to say that the victims of this these actions don't have a voice and they shouldn't be heard and their their opinions respected is just it's it's a very dangerous slope that they're going down. Well, and I think that again we've we've seen that every time is this is what happens is that when somebody doesn't like what it said they're tried to be silenced. You know, civil rights movement, women's suffrage, all of these different things and now the gay rights movement, you know. I mean, all of these things we've seen People try to be silenced by it be whether the president, the right, even the left in cases, you know. But what we've seen is that whenever something scares people, whenever change is happening, whenever people have good ideas, they're tried to be silenced because change is scary. I mean, status quo is always, you know, it always seems the best, right? Because mm-hmm. you, it's, it's what you know. There's no question about anything. There's no... Um, there's nothing that that scares you, but the unknown is scary. And know? and what it comes what it's what's the weird thing about it is is that enacting this gun legislation, there's no way that it ever affects responsible gun owners. Right. Right. There's no way that that responsible and constitutional gun legislation is going to, going to affect the rights of those who abide by the law and those who are in the condition in which they should be able to own and purchase a gun. There's no way that, you know, that that's going to be taken from them. And so it's just, it's very confusing to see why they actually oppose this type of legislation Mm -hmm. and this type of action. Well, common sense gun reform, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that in closing, uh, what I want to see in the future is more open-mindedness from both parties, but mostly a, a middle ground that's open and, and something where people are, are listening to teenagers with a voice Mm -hmm. because this is the future whether people like it or not you know and the thing about it is is that all these teenagers who can't really run for office right now they don't have the political means or the financial means they're going to eventually Mm -hmm. and so what we're going to see is in about mm, probably i say 10 years 
we're going to see a huge change in government in where it's a lot more progressive, it's a lot more liberal, and it's a lot younger and open-minded and mm-hmm. willing to change. And, and they remember how they felt in these moments. Mm-hmm. And then this is w- with their brain and heart they pass these. Mm-hmm. And things. in more of the short-term kind of looking looking towards positive change, I think that the most important thing is solidarity among students. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to be unified in the fact that we all support mm-hmm common sense gun control for the protection of not only ourselves, but our, our classmates, our peers, the people teaching us, those who are working at our schools, those who make education possible. I think that as a student body across the nation of, of, of students, we need to all agree on the fact that this is something we need. Right. And we can't, we can't be divided, especially in rural areas like this, where, you know, we're from, we can't be divided on that fact. You know, we can still respect the rights of those to to own and and purchase guns but at some point in time there has to be a, a point where we come to and say all right that's enough right and we need to make sure that we're protecting our our, our vulnerable population so trip you have facebook i do i actually really like facebook for a couple <laughs> reasons one because you can click on a video and scroll for hours and it's just fun videos you know um two well I'll be honest. My next favorite reason is to watch like <laughs> crazy Republicans do their thing. And here's the perfect example of this. So we see this Facebook post. Um, it's from a very conservative account. It's probably like Christians from the right or something. And it says, Ellen DeGeneres said she doesn't want President Trump on her show. Then it has a picture of Ellen DeGeneres in a very, very cute outfit. I like that jacket. I know. It it's like a, it's a velvet maroon jacket, mm-hmm. which, by the way, the background's in maroon, so at least they can match it. And so then it says, share if you don't give a... A dang. A dang. But it's the cuss word. So, you know... Ellen DeGeneres, she's actually from our area. If you don't know, she is from. She went to Atlanta High School. Atlanta High School. And, um, I, I went on just to look at some of the comments, you know, to see because it's always funny. You know, she's a lesbian. She has her own show. She's a Hollywood star. She's a very liberal person. And so here were some of the comments. Trip and I. Are she gonna, also had a good relationship with First Lady Michelle Obama. Yeah, you know, Michelle uh-huh. was on her show quite a few times. I think towards the end of her second term. And so. So she's just, and I actually love Ellen. I mean, I think she's a great person. She's very funny to me. Uh, she's created a lot more change than I think people realize. And she's doing amazing things with her money because she has a lot of money. But uh, she's doing amazing things. And uh, it would be my dream to talk to her one day. So Ellen, if you're listening, give us a call. Um, but so Tripp and I are going to take turns reading some of these. We're, we're not going to say who commented them. So we're going to give them names. Country Boy 7 said... She is stuck on stupid. She don't even know she is a woman. Okay, and here's where we need to pause because this is this is sad to me. You know, the suicide rate among LGBT people is so high. And and this is why because successful LGBT people aren't allowed to have success without being ridiculed for it. Mm-hmm. You know, Ellen DeGeneres, I feel, and I think most would agree, is a beautiful woman who is confident, who is successful, who is smart and intelligent and has um, so much, has accomplished so much and is doing so much and will accomplish so much more. But people are stuck on 
this. Her sexuality. She doesn't even know she is a woman. And I think she's, she calls herself a lesbian, which means she knows that she's a woman because a lesbian is a woman liking a woman. So, um, that's interesting to me, country boy seven. So, uh, I just, uh, and, and this is another thing and we're going to go on and there's going to be more like this, uh, about her sexuality. And I want to encourage anyone listening I've, I've had this conversation with some people before. I think as a, a Democrat, as a human, uh, with compassion and love, it is my job to, to correct people when they're wrong. I think, you know, going back to, you know, just basic human decency, this, these type of topics are often very politically charged and polarized. Right. And they're, they try to frame them, you know, as being, oh, politically correct and social justice warriors mm-hmm. and all these negative rhetoric that gets thrown at people who um, think that, you know, we shouldn't treat certain demographics this way. And I don't think it comes down to political indifferences. It comes down to basic human decency. Right. And it doesn't come down to a disagreement in, in lifestyle choices. It comes down to a disagreement of what it means to be a human. Well, and the thing is, is that, and I tell people this all the time. I'm like, if you don't agree with being gay, don't be gay. Man. Oh my. Wait, you mean that's it? Yeah. If you don't agree with it, just don't do it. But what gives you the right to pester or make comments or belittle someone because of who they are? Mm-hmm. And if you believe that that's not who they are, then that's your business. But that's, it's, not, it's definitely not your business to let them know that mm-hmm. unless they ask. And I definitely think we see, I think we see a lot more of that because of where we come from. Mm-hmm. Um, a people are a whole lot braver to mm-hmm. say very um, not okay things, you know, in more rural communities. And not saying that it's absent in urban areas, by the, it's not in, in, in any means. But here, I feel there's a lot less pushback. Would, oh, you, would yeah. you agree with that? Absolutely. And the thing is, though, is that if people don't, I think sometimes people don't even realize it. They may say a racist thing, or but especially, you know, homophobic mm-hmm. um, slurs are something that is very common. Deeply here. ingrained. Yeah. Just, they say it so often, they don't, people fail to ever see an issue with mm-hmm. it. You know, being a human means that sometimes when you don't know something, it's a little weird to you. And that's not necessarily homophobic. What's homophobic is saying, I don't know anything about that person or what they believe in, but I don't like them because of that. It, it's not homophobic to have an initially weird reaction to something that you've never seen before. The point, though, is, is that you should be actively trying to correct that reaction. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I had a friend who told me, he said, you know, my brother, uh, he painted his nails. And his, his brother's like, I think, five or four, four or five. And he, and he was like, uh, he got called into the kitchen. To, you know, he's like, Dallin, come here. And so he shows him. And at first, Dallin's like, what in the world? Why did you... Like he was a little like, what the heck? Why did you paint his nails? And then Dallin's like, well, then I saw that he really liked his nails that color. And he, and he was like, and I was like, really cool with it. Like I didn't, I corrected myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important as people mm-hmm. because there, there's things that I see, you know, sometimes and I'm like, oh, but then I'm like, and that initial reaction's okay, but it's how you go from there, you know? It's okay to have a weird reaction. Do you remember when I painted my nails for that children's camp? 
Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> when I painted, I painted them orange. I was at a uh, kids' summer camp, and we have this thing at the end of it <clears throat> where you know you all assigned a color group or mm-hmm. whatever for the big end of camp game. And I painted them orange because you know the kids always, you know, they think it's hilarious mm-hmm. and they they really enjoy it to see the guy sponsors who are with the group you know paint their nails and right and it's a really cool thing never saw a big deal with yeah. it until i posted a picture and other people you know the locals saw it so I, well what happened was i was in a group message full of people from here and uh they started talking about it and how it was weird and you know trip is my best friend so he's going down <laughs> i'm going with them so they started talking about him and i'm like yeah i don't even know he's just it's not even and even if it was it's none of your business to be talking about like this so uh they i remember one of them ended up saying that i was what was wrong with america uh well the best part of this story is that this was the summer of this would have been summer of 2016, correct? Mm-hmm. That falling spring, you and I do a Mr. New Boston pageant. Right. Where, where we, are we are in, in full, full drag. Full drag. And these people are fully supporting us. Uh-huh. I mean, it came full circle. Right. It was so, and like, they probably don't even remember it. It's like not even a big deal. It yeah. has very little bearing on our, our we, like, we could care less. You know, it happened and we got over it and we're all friends now. But it was just, it's very interesting to see how that came full circle and how those people's opinions changed. Right. And I think that, I think that, you know, I have seen just being myself and, and trying to get people to open up about things and, and, and accept something that they may not have, you know, and just being a Democrat or a person in general. And what I've seen in my school is this shift in where, at one point, you know, everyone was against this or that. And now it's just awesome because I I see, and it's not just me. I'm definitely not taking credit for this all alone because there's a lot of progressives at my school ha- that have worked endlessly to change how it is at our school. And it's changing. And it's so mm-hmm. cool to me. And I think, you know, initially when, you know, that Supreme Court ruling came out in the summer of 2015. Well, I was at, I was at. Church camp. We were going to Kentucky, weren't we? We were there. We were on our way. We were in the car on the way to Kentucky mm-hmm. when that ruling came out. And there was a huge pushback well, from the people we were with naturally. And then we get to camp and they had a special, a huge special hoo-ha mm-hmm. about this. And I remember we had special small groups about it. I was very confused right. <laughs> the whole time as to why it was such a big deal. And at this point I was like, a closet Democrat, like I, I didn't want yeah, anywhere. You I was kind of <laughs> like, uh, I was, I, you know, I was, I wouldn't say, a sh- well, I, it was just not okay to be a Democrat, you know, at definitely. this point. And not necessarily by my parents, but just by this town. Well, also definitely right after that ruling came out, you know, if you were a Democrat, you were seen as... Filthy? Satanic. Yeah. You know? And so, <laughs> uh, so it was really interesting because in my heart at this camp, I'm like, why it's sad this reaction is sad to me because i just see a bunch of people going crazy over love mm-hmm. and then but you know we're being almost coached as to what to say like yeah how if, how how should you know christians respond mm-hmm. to such ungodliness so and and that just that scares me mm-hmm. because we're sending so many kids to christian camps and you know rulings like this 
uh, are rare but happen. And then how does that, uh, how do those rulings mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> impact what is taught? Yeah, and I think that, you know, since that ruling came out, we've seen, you know, all of these people who were initially very against mm-hmm. any any sort of rights for the LGBT community, they've all come so much closer to the middle oh, in yeah. terms of compromising and, and actually accepting them right. as human beings. And it's just, you know, it's interesting to see that once they realized, you know, who they were talking about, who they were actually opposing, you know, it was these people mm-hmm. they love and the people they're friends with, they realized they were wrong. You know, the basic tenet of agreement has to be that, you know, you don't have to agree with the lifestyle, but you have to show them respect and right. love. You know, we have, we have, you know, a responsibility as citizens, as, you know, community members and friends that, you know, we need to show them, you right. know, a, a, the decency of respect that we show just anyone else. Right. And that's a necessity. Dun, 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 dun. Do the boom. Dun, 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 dun. Boom. Dun, 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 dun. Boom. I don't think you have the rights to that. Oh. I get 30 seconds. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so NFL, crazy in the news. You know, Colin Kaepernick really started this trend of kneeling during the national anthem, Had met with was met with huge backlash. Some say his career was ended for it. Um, now, recently, the NFL has come out saying that uh, players have to stand. Mm-hmm. So this and brings up a lot of questions. It, an excerpt from uh, Roger Goodell, who's the commissioner of the NFL, uh, on commenting on the protest and the recent vote by the owners says that um, the protest, you know, which began in the summer of 2016, had a false perception among many that thousands of NFL players were unpatriotic. In addition, the new policy will keep our focus on the game and the extraordinary athletes who play it and on our fans who enjoy it. So that was an excerpt from his statements after the vote for uh, the fine for kneeling. This brings up a lot of questions. One, is this right morally, ethically? Like, is this, is this right? Mm-hmm. Two, uh, how does this impact the First Amendment rights of NFL players? Because is, are, like, are they legally allowed to do this? Mm-hmm. And I think three, um, why, right? Because, you know, obviously there was a lot of backlash. But at the same time, I think that you know, and, and I was talking to people about this that even didn't agree with the protests, is that people were talking, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the point it, of a protest? He achieved his goal mm-hmm. of creating dialogue. Mm-hmm. Whether or not the dialogue was centered all the time on what he was wanting to, which was the police state, police brutality, and, right. and injustices against his community, whether or not it was always focused on that, you know, that's debatable, but there was a lot of talk about what he was doing and the methods behind it. This is something, you know, that has been talked about since the very first kneeling. The first time it happened. First it protest. was a big deal. I mean, he didn't even get a week a week to do it. I mean, it was right. headline, I guess, the night it happened. And so, and a lot of people were saying he did it for attention. But if, if you go back and you remember, he actually didn't mention it. He just did it. And when he was asked, he started talking about it. Which is the best form of protest. And not only that, but he backed up his protest. He has remained as civically engaged and, you know, in his community in California, making sure, you know, working with children in education, making sure, you know, they have 
a plan for the future, and he's remained civically engaged. It was not a publicity stunt right. in the slightest. Well, and he, it cost him his job. Yeah, it cost him his job. But not only that, he didn't. He did not create as big of a problem, you know, as someone who got fired for a, a absurd reason, right. like they should. He went on about his life, and he kept he kept working to create positive change. Right. You know, one of the lead voices against the protest was, of course. Um, President Trump. And after that vote happened, when I believe he was in a, a press briefing or a meeting, he was in some sort of event, one of the limited ones mm-hmm. he ever does. And, you know, he comes out. In between golfing. Yeah, in between his numerous golfing outings. And he comes out and, you know, they notify him of it. And, you know, he says he liked the policy. Um, he thought it was good. You know, he says, you know, moving forward, I think they should not be allowed to uh, stay in the locker rooms. Um, and, you know, he said, very a very dangerous quote, he said, you know, if you don't stand for the national anthem, he says that maybe you shouldn't be in the country. Mm. Mm. What do you think? If you don't stand for the national anthem, you should not be in America. How's that? What do you, what do you think about that? Um, that sounds a lot like the start of a communist country. Uh, I mean, that'd be like, you know, during the civil rights movement, if the president had said, you know, we're going to throw... MLK out of the country. We're going to throw any civil rights activists, uh, you know, um, the starters, the Montgomery bus boycott, you know, they're going to, mm-hmm. you know, they're out of America. You know, all these forms of protest that are civil, not causing any harm to anyone, but creating change, you know, saying that they're un-American and they don't belong here, that's a very dangerous, I mean, as you said, you know, that's the start of an authoritarian government. Uh Made it down the Trump rabbit trail. Hey. <laughs> Back to the, the NFL. Hold on, one more thing about Trump. So far, Trump has cost taxpayers $67,507,661 from 108 golf trips. This is updated daily at trumpgolfcount.com. Well, Trip, what'd you think of your first? It was great. Have had a blast. Glad to be back. Glad to see you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to be here much longer. Yeah, I will. Uh, so Trip is coming back from Austin and I'm going to Austin. I will be working uh, for James Tallarico on his campaign uh, in, for House District 52. He's a Democrat running for that spot. Um, it's in the Round Rock area. Super, super excited. I'll be working with a bunch of other politically engaged teenagers. Um, so I'll be doing the podcast uh, by myself. Maybe I'll have some, you know, friends who want to do it with me. Mm-hmm. But i um, super excited about that. What are y'all going to be doing down there? Oh, gosh, a lot. You know, we're going to be going door to door, learning. Canvassing? Can- I mean, just... Fundraising? Yeah, fundraising, campaigning, all these different things. I'm super excited. This is going to be a great experience for me and super thankful to... Uh, James Tallarico and everybody who's worked to make this happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, super excited. Um, I'm going to keep you guys updated on that. We The weekly podcast will start back probably every Monday. A new podcast will come up. That's my day off. So mm-hmm. um, be listening. Also, make sure that you go follow our social medias. You can find those at www.teenagedemocrat.com slash podcast. Uh, thank you again, Trip, for coming. Thank you. And don't forget, if you'd like to donate to Mason and his new campaign, you can find him at www.jamesdemocrat.com is Tallarico.com. He would love your your donations in which to help flip that district and the Texas house. Absolutely. Thanks again for listening and you will hear me next week. Bye-bye.